Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, bringing your sports medicine update as we do each week here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, thanks for all our SB Nation listeners. Remember, you can listen to us anytime, anywhere by listening to our podcast on SB Nation, or you can listen to our podcast at iTunes, uh, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And what we do here is basically talk about the sports medicine world with a, I'm sorry, the sports entertainment world with a sports medicine niche. We talk about maybe some of the injuries to your favorite players, maybe some of the uh, guys that are missing from the lineup that uh, you want to know more about that injury, whether it's uh, the thumb injury we just saw to uh, Jimmy Graham last night, those types of things. We'll be talking about that and more here on Docs and Jocks. I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. He talks about uh, what he feels from the injuries uh, as if he is a listener, and I'll try and describe those injuries to him, trying to make it make sense to him. So, Ferris, is that what we do each week? Do I make it make sense to you, or am I completely confusing you every week? You absolutely make it make sense to me, and if you can make it make sense to me, then anybody can understand it. <laughs> Ferris has been uh, the traveling with uh, Grand Canyon University all over the world in his Division One uh, basketball days right now, so he's uh, traveling, and we love having him on uh, Docs and Jocks. Hey, remember, really what we love to do, Ferris and I like, enjoy talking to our guests, but we also we're going to have some great guests on, including uh, Sal Artigia. Sal was the guy who introduced really Latino players to Major League Baseball. He was instrumental in not only getting them uh, to the Major League teams, but also keeping them, kind of indoctrinating them into how to fit in to uh, the American society as far as language and giving them skills and getting them their GEDs. And, and it's really cool how what he's done in baseball. Uh, Sal's been in, in baseball for almost 50 years, so crazy, crazy life in baseball. And then we're going to be talking to Coach Jimmy Keeling, one of the winningest coaches in all of uh, football at any time, anywhere. Man, he's in the Hall of Fame for not only college coaching but also high school coaching. Coach Jimmy Keeling won a state championship at Lubbock Estacado in high school and then went on and uh, was the winningest team for an entire decade at Hardin-Simmons University, Division Three program where he took him to great heights. So won't want to miss either one of our interviews with Sal Artigia or with Coach Jimmy Keeling, two of the legends in their own sports. But we love talking to you about how you can get better as well, and you can talk to us about that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and uh, we'll answer a question that way. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, great to have you be part of our show every day or every week here on uh, your SB Nation feed. If you're not catching us in a, in a station or an, a radio station that plays regularly in your area, man, you can listen to our show anytime, anywhere by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Find out more about myself, Dr. Dan, a sports medicine physician, and Ferris Potter, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris, I thought we'd jump into the big story in the news right now with uh, the sports medicine angle, as we always do here on Docs and Jocks. The Golden State Warriors... Obviously, uh, the team to knock off, the NBA champs, they are banged up right now. And there's a lot of stuff going on with the uh, Golden State Warriors, and partially, and in my opinion, largely due to injuries. And so when you look at Steph Curry, they're an all-star point guard, one of the best uh, prolific shooters ever to play the game. Uh, he has a groin injury right now, and he is being uh, reevaluated in 10 days. A groin injury is uh, the pulling or stretching or straining of the muscle on the inside of your thigh. It's called your adductor group. There's a there's several different muscles that pull your leg back towards the midline and or pull your knee back towards the midline of your body. And that adductor group oftentimes pulls or strains up near your groin area. If anybody's had a groin injury, you know how long those things last. They can be very, very difficult to get better from, and they're worse when you're doing cutting motions. So obviously Steph Curry is one of the quickest guys in the uh, NBA, always doing cutting motions. So he's out 10 days. So their leader... 
or what I would perceive as their team leader, is out right now. You have Sean Livingston, one of those guys who really fills in a great role, a role player who's an incredible defensive player. He's missed time uh, due to foot injury. He just came back. He's been limping on that, and now he uh, has just scored eight points and two rebounds in a 19 minutes Warriors overtime loss to the uh, L.A. Clippers on Monday. So Livingston is limping. Uh, Steph Curry is out with a groin injury right now, going to be reevaluated in 10 days. Draymond Green, the big power center, power forward guy, he's been out with a toe sprain. I call him the enforcer. Wouldn't you call that Ferris? Don't you think Draymond Green is kind of the enforcer on that team? Yeah, he's the, he's the one that's got a little crazy to him. Yes, he does. And we're getting ready to talk crazy here, Ferris. So Draymond Green, uh-huh. he's had a toe sprain. He's been missing time. And uh, he played for the first time, comes back. He, scored, he went 24 minutes on Thursday night, scored zero points uh, in their 107-86 to loss to the Rockets. And uh, that's the longest time he's ever been in a game uh, continuously without having scored any points. He's now suspended for an incident with Kevin Durant. And the incident was, incident was that they go to the sidelines. Uh, he and Kevin Durant get into it. Kevin Durant's uh, saying something. Dr- Draymond Green then says, basically, uh, go ahead and leave because, remember, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. We were winners without you. Says some derogatory terms to him. Anyway, it wasn't what the ownership of Golden State Warriors is wanting to be told to their star player, Kevin Durant, who's incredible talent. But it just shows you, I think, Ferris, what it shows you is that an injury to Steph Curry I think in his absence is sparking the angry comments and the tension. And I take it, I, I look at the Golden State Warriors, and the way I think of them is if you have a great leader, and I think the leader of that team, whether by his ability or whatever, is Steph Curry, and then you can have great athletes like Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant, I don't think, in my opinion, is the leader of that team, is Steph Curry. I equate it to back, looking back when the Yankees had uh, Alex Rodriguez at third base. Great talent, unbelievable talent. Probably can't get it anywhere else to that level. But Derek Jeter was the man. He was the leader on that team. When Derek Jeter went down, problems started happening. When you see Steph Curry go down, I think now you see problems happening with an athlete like Durant who doesn't have that rudder that he has when Steph Curry is there and taking that pressure off of him. First of all, what do you think about the injuries and long-term with Golden State Warriors? Are they going to be okay? Steve Kerr right now says they're spiritually and physically injured. And do you think that this partly what we're seeing with Draymond Green and Kevin Durant stems from the injury to their leader, Steph Curry? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think they're going to be fine from the injury standpoint because everything they got seems like it's going to heal. And, that you know, to me, if Steph Curry is healthy, they're going to make the playoffs. So if he's even if he misses substantial time, as long as he's healthy once the playoffs begin, they don't have to be the one seed to roll through and win the whole daggum thing again. I think they're the best team in basketball, but they do have to have him healthy to win the whole thing. Um, he more so than anybody, I think. Because Fremont Green, I mean, he's got a point that we've won it without you, uh, KD. We can win it without you. But you obviously want them all playing on the same team. They're way better when, when KD's on that team. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, you know, Draymond Green. Draymond Green, he he does serve a purpose. I mean, I don't, I don't like guys like that so much because they're just they just fly off the handle. They're just so emotional. But in in many ways, um, that emotion and that flying off the handle, that that the way he plays, has driven them to be better. So, you know, people have said, "Oh, trade Draymond Green. Oh, let Kevin Durant go." I think if either of those guys leave, it makes them a worse team and makes them susceptible to lose. So. I just don't know where Steve Kerr is in this process. Yeah, you need to have a leader, and that is Steph Curry. That's a great comparison with Derek Jeter. I mean, I even think, like, 
Yadier Molina because we like to use the baseball. Yeah. He's not the best player on the team. Hasn't been the best player on the team for a few years because they had Berkman, they had Holiday, they had other guys. But he was by far the spiritual leader of the team. And when he was out, they kind of floundered. Him, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but but they typically had a, a manager, a Joe Torre, or you know they had a Tony Larusa who commanded it as well and tried to hold him together. I'm not sure where Kerr's at and what his culpability is in. Oh, we've lost our spiritual, you know, balance or whatever. But yeah, they're they're scuffling a bit, and I, I would be more concerned about the spiritual aspect than the physical aspect. To use Kerr's term. Yeah, it was interesting during the uh, conflict between Green and uh, Durant. Steve Kerr is trying to draw up a whiteboard play, and he's trying to get their attention. And you can see Draymond Green calling uh, Kevin Durant a, a derogatory term, to put it nicely, during the entire yeah. time. And, you know, keeps Steve Kerr is trying to write a whiteboard play. But, yeah, definitely a difficult situation. I do think that it highlights how injuries can make suddenly friction and tension show up among team members. And so it highlights maybe the you know, those things had been kind of under the radar, you know, those feelings, that tension. But suddenly when you lose a star player like Steph Curry, now you have an overtime loss to a team that you probably should have beat, the L.A. Clippers. Bam, now it's in the forefront. Now all those, all the stuff that was kind of simmered underneath is now the lids popped off and you see it, uh, you know, boiling over. And I think that's what how injuries can change, the, you know, the direction of a team in multiple different ways, and we've seen it throughout the years, but I think definitely the Steph Curry one is one that now highlights how injuries can cause that tension to uh, be worse. But, uh, you know, the other part of this, Ferris, is Golden State Warriors are 24-3 and without Durant in the lineup. So you take Kevin Durant out of the lineup, they're still really, really good. Yeah. Last two games, they're Owen, they're, they've lost two games in a row without Steph Curry. So it does show you that there is, when you lose your leader and you lose the rudder, of your team, it, it, it gets really hard really fast. To your point, when the Cardinals aren't without without Yadier Molina, man, their record goes down really, really fast and really, really quickly. It's noticeable. It's palpable because the pitching staff no longer has the leader behind the plate. The team doesn't have somebody taking over when, you know, there's some friction going on. That was a great point. I think a great analogy. But, yeah, I definitely think injuries highlight tension that may not be there unless you see an injury to the leader. Yeah, it, it always cracks me up, too, that Draymond Green is getting upset that Kevin Durant might leave in free agency. That's how you got him in the first place, <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. Pat Riley was all been out of shape when LeBron decided to go back to Cleveland. Well, you stole him from Cleveland. And he's like, oh, I felt betrayed. Well, what are you talking about? You didn't have a problem when you betrayed somebody else. I mean, that's, that's the nature of the business. And you can't tell me if Draymond Green gets offered by the Lakers $20 million more million, he ain't going. He's not staying with Golden State for less money. Yeah. Nobody does anymore. I mean, it's very rare that anybody stays for less money anymore, unless you're in the twilight of your career and you want to win some. So I think it's laughable that he's all been out of shape that Kevin Durant might leave at the end of the year. Mind your own business. Or yeah. Let KD worry about where he goes. Mind your own business, win another championship, and then figure it out in the offseason. To use a sports medicine phrase, you know what heals all wounds, Ferris, is they win another NBA championship. Very, very rarely does a star player leave the year after they win a, a championship, a Super Bowl, a World Series. They almost never leave that great team to go somewhere else. So, yeah, it does heal all wounds. Winning does. But, yeah, winning an NBA championship, I think, would go a long ways to making uh, Kevin Durant want to stay with the Golden State Warriors. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do. I think it, it highlights too. I mean, Kevin Durant's kind of a weird dude, you know. I mean, he's he's he. I mean, he's not weird, flamboyant like Draymond is, but I don't know that he's ever been a really big team guy. I mean, he's just always kind of been his own guy and his own thing. And 
some people are saying that he wants to win more titles than LeBron, and he wants to do it somewhere where they can't say, oh, you just did it because you went, you went to, you know, with Steph, that type of thing. So I think he might leave because of that, out of just his own personal agenda. Um, but like I said, you know, gosh, you're way better with him play. It's like Le'Veon Bell. He's not going to show up now, but you're way better if he plays. Yep. You know? Yeah. yeah but if you can get around this stuff, and I, I think Draymond's making a big deal about it, but it's been Draymond, not KD, so man, I don't yeah. know if that's going away anytime soon. Well, hey, we'll talk about that more here on Docs and Jocks, Sports Medicine Radio Show. Hey, stay tuned to listen to our interview with Sal Artiga, who's been a Major League Baseball guy for the last 50 years. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks. Welcome back. Hey, great to have you be part of our sports medicine radio show. Myself, Dr. Dan, my longtime co-host, Ferris Potter, talking about what's going on in the sports medicine world. We have a great guest on. Because of an injury, I'm sorry, to an illness, uh, Sal Artiga was not able to come on today. He's the uh, one of the uh, godfathers of Latino baseball. I thought in his place we'd have one of the great baseball coaches that's a great friend of Docs and Jocks come on. 20-year head baseball coach at Abilene High University. He is now a, an associate scout with the Chicago White Sox, travels all around the country for them, as well as uh, does tons of teaching at the Forge Baseball Academy. Coach Scotty Sanchez, hey, thanks for being on our film today. It's like uh, being a DH or pinch hitter, Coach Sanchez. Pinch hitter, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, it's, it's, it's to good go. to be on. Hey, you know, we were going to talk to Sal, and I think you're you're very good at doing this. So you can tell us tell us what how kind of the the influence the Latino player has had on Major League Baseball because Sal was one of the godfathers of, of bringing in those Latino players who who really changed baseball. Talk to us about their influence. Well, Dan, Dr. Dan, I'm sorry he wasn't able to be on. He has been uh, quite an influence. That would have been a great interview, but uh, yeah, he's one of the first that saw the value that uh, the Latino player could bring to the uh, professional level and the uh, the passion and the talent of the people. And, you know, they do play kind of a different ball game. I mean, even coaching in the high school ranks, anytime you went down south to play El Paso, we're one of the Valley schools, uh, they tend to bring a little bit different flavor, quite a bit different passion. And uh, I'll tell you what, it, it's fun baseball to watch. Yeah, and one of the things that Sal did, too, is he not only uh, found the great talent, but he got them here, and he would help them get their GED. He would help them learn English as their second language. He would help them kind of uh, get – into the culture, but that had to be a big part of keeping those players around too. Not only do you have to have great talent, but you got to be able to make them feel like this is home and, and they're back and they feel comfortable where they're playing at. You know, and we hear a lot about what Jackie Robinson did. I mean, you got you can't uh, discount how important Roberto Clemente was for yes. the Latino player because you know at first uh, you know they called him Bobby uh, to try to soften mm-hmm. his uh, his image. Um, he was ridiculed for speaking Spanish and. Uh, you know, he, it'd be neat to see that number 21 go up on all the stadiums just like that number 42 is. But, exactly. uh, you know, Sal was really, really influential in making sure those guys uh, felt comfortable. And now we've got, you know, we've got so many Latino players that, uh, I mean, I, I believe the last uh, time I had checked, uh, the minor leagues are about 55, 60% uh, Latino or Asian, and uh, the major leagues were creeping up there as well. Wow, amazing. Ferris? Hey Scotty, you got your White Sox, man. You guys got a lot of Latino players that are going to make a huge impact. Obviously, Abreu is still there, and you you got Mancado, and then you know you saw you got uh, Jimenez, you got the kid uh, Lewis Robert, who just looks like an absolute stud. I mean, there are some teams that just seem to do better at uh, that pipeline. Is it is it the scouting? Is it just a commitment to that? It's cyclical. I mean, it's it, we've been lucky, we've been blessed to have those kids like that. It's funny because Doctor Doctor Dan and I were talking about it yesterday. Um, you know, discussing, you know, we've got so much talent in the organization that are coming from that area. 
Uh, but we're trying to decide, you now when is it the right time to bring those guys up? Because you don't want to bring mm-hmm. them up too early and they have a little bit of failure early and it might set the tone for their career. So, you know, there's a fine line between uh, between having that talent and making sure that they show up at the right time. But, uh, no, we've been blessed and we've had we've got some great guys that uh, are down in, in, you know, the Dominican Republic of Venezuela and Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've been blessed. You know, I would think as as some of our bigger cities in, in the United States get more international, you know, um, it might be a little less culture shock for some of these guys coming over. I mean, imagine, especially in Chicago, there's probably quite a quite a bit of a Latino uh, influence in that city so they can find some of that. The culture shock would probably be when they're in, like, you know, Alabama or somewhere playing in those minor leagues and things like that. It's, it's still a little bit of a culture <laughs> shock for a 17, 18-year-old kid, you know, making that move to stay in somewhere in the Midwest or the South, I'd imagine. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. Uh, there's no question. You know, and some of the culture shock, I think, is a happening, uh, you know, within our own players. For example, I had a young man that uh, played for me, went on and played at the University of Arizona, but then the first minor league team he played for, he was only one of four Americans that was on that rookie ball team. Wow. So, oh, wow. You know, he had, uh, you know, so, you know with, the, with the influx of the Latino player coming in and coming over, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of Americans being the minority in a lot of minor league teams. You know, I want to go back to a point you talked about, Coach uh, Sanchez, a little bit earlier where you're talking about how it's so hard and so difficult to figure out when to bring up a young player. I mean, we see the likes of, uh, I think, Rick Ankeel is probably the one that's the poster child of. You know, he's a great young player. He gets brought up to the St. Louis Cardinals when he's in his early, early 20s, and they pitch him uh, after in his rookie year late in the season, doing unbelievably good. He has a bad outing in the playoffs, and suddenly he blows up and he gets the yips, which we don't really 100% know what causes that, mm-hmm. but he's never the same player ever again. And Tony La Russa always said he felt like that was one of the worst decisions he made to take a young player and put him in a national spotlight before he was ready. You as a coach, you for 20 years had to figure out when it was right to bring up the young player as opposed to playing a more seasoned player. How did you go about making that decision and determining if they had the maturity to do so? It's tough, you know, but we, we uh, for example, you know, the same player I was describing that had played at the University of Arizona, he uh, obviously was a varsity type player his freshman year, but uh, we made him kind of go through the grind there as freshman and let him dominate at that level, and then we made him go through the JV level and uh, and then let him have some success there. So uh, it wasn't a deal. Even though we knew he was a varsity pitcher from day one, uh, we felt like it would have been at the surface not only to him but to his teammates, to just put him on the varsity from the get-go and, and uh, kind of throw him into the fire at that point, especially, you know, with a 15-year-old kid. And you never imagine, you know, with the type of money that uh, they're making at um, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, uh, you know, trying to make those decisions on those careers with those guys. You know, those guys in the front office, they have, they have a difficult job. Yeah, absolutely. Ferris? Hey, Scotty, uh, this is kind of on a personal ask from me to you. I'm, I'm glad we are able to get you on. I have a dream. And I, you, don't have to help, you don't have to help me make this happen for the next 10 years or so. But my, my second part of life, I, I want to be a scout in Latin America, ideally Cuba, and so I can drink mojitas, smoke cigars, and watch baseball all day and live on the beach. Can you help me? I mean, how, help, help me offline make that happen somehow. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I've got a picture on my phone. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, the one that actually got me into scouting, he's a, a college coach now in, in Colorado. He, uh, he was uh, blessed to, to, to escort him on a trip down to the Dominican Republic. And it's not just what you see on the field, it's, it's what you see off the field. For example, I've got a picture of, on my phone of a little uh, kid from the Dominican Republic, and he's swinging a stick with a rock, and he's barefoot, and he's... <laughs> He's having a blast, and uh, you know, and I think you know that's one of the reasons uh, 
uh, we see that type of passion from those type of kids. You know, that's that's what they're shooting to be. This isn't a, you know, they're not shooting for participation trophies in the Dominican Republic. They're trying to play for life. Yeah, I, I, you know, Scotty, I, I think it's a great point. I love the flair uh, that the Latin players bring. It's not forced. It's just the way they are, the exuberance. I mean, Clemente was one of my favorite players to watch old footage of him, just how he ran and how he did things. I was always a big, you know, Puig does some knuckleheaded stuff, but I was just like, that's that's kind of who he is. He's not trying to to be a showboat. He just kind of, that's just kind of the way some of those guys play. And I, I, I kind of enjoy that. It makes the game fun, in my opinion. Oh, it's a blast. You know, we played a team out of El Paso, Socorro, and their fans had the uh, the drums and the maracas, and it made for an interesting, <laughs> you know, three-game series. And it was neat. To, well, it wasn't neat for us, but every time <laughs> they would get bases loaded, they would have a gentleman that would stand up and he would say, may I have your attention, please, with the Hispanic accent. And he said, the bases are loaded with bulldogs. And, of course, they would get blowing and going, and it was exciting for them, but it meant that we were in a – we were in a tough spot, but it, it was a lot of fun. Hey, I was just listening to the three of us talk, and it's like a bunch of old men uh, sitting around at a coffee shop. For those of our listening audience who don't know who doesn't know the, the name Roberto Clemente, let's tell his story real quick. Oh. So Roberto Clemente came uh, in, into baseball, Major League Baseball, in the uh, early 50s, and uh, he uh, was basically one of the very first star Latino players. And uh, he ended up having a great career with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He uh, had played right field, considered one of the greatest arms ever to play in Major League Baseball. He was a great outfielder. He was also a great runner. He ran the, the bases with a, a unabashed wild abandon. And he would uh, steal bases, hit uh, doubles. He was known for opposite field doubles. He had kind of an inside-out swing. And he got uh, to his last season. Uh, he was playing in 1972, and he his last hit of his career was his 3,000th hit. So he hit an opposite field double, classic Roberto Clemente hit, takes his helmet off, they cheer. Well, he goes back to um, the off season, and there was a devastating, I believe it was a hurricane or tornado, I can't remember which. And he was from where, Scotty? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Nicaragua? Where is he from? The, he was from Puerto Rico, but the earthquake had occurred in Nicaragua. Oh, okay. That's where he was doing his philanthropy, yes, sir. So he was going back there to help the people out there His uh, in uh, Nicaragua. He flew a plane, and it crashed. His body was never recovered, and he died. His last hit was his 3,000th hit. One of the greatest uh, players in all of baseball. But, yeah, tell our listening audience here in our last minute, Scotty, uh, the, the impact Roberto Clemente has had on baseball fans like yourself, when a guy, uh, Hispanic guy that's gone into coaching and uh, done a great job at what Roberto meant to you. No, obviously, obviously a hero. You know, obviously somebody that uh, that my grandfather and father talked about all the time. Um, the one that uh, when my son was in the first grade, he came and he says, "Hey, Daddy, uh, we're brown." And I was kind of taken aback, and I said, well, "What are you What are you talking about, son?" And he said, "Well, I eat lunch with my friends at school all the time." And I I said, "Well, sure." And he said, "Well, how come they didn't let Roberto eat with his friends?" And oh, it was quite an wow. interesting discussion. He was yeah. reading the uh, Roberto Clemente story. At a at a first grade level, and uh, <laughs> it created quite a discussion. And I tell you what, we've come a long way, and it's uh, it's a blast. And uh, obviously, you know, one of, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, the greatest uh, jersey I've ever seen worn. Uh, uh, Scotty Sanchez, Coach Sanchez, came walking into uh, where he does the Forge Baseball Academy, and I was in training, and he walks in wearing a full Pirates. Uh, outfit hat he always looks spectacular he always matches his hat and his jersey and a roberto clemente jersey ferris isn't that awesome 
Dude, love yeah, it. Cool. I, lo- I just put it on YouTube, look some of that footage. He was fun to watch. Man. Yeah, he was. Roberto Clemente, one of the greats of all time. One of the greatest coaches of all time, Coach Scotty Sanchez. Hey, we want to thank, thank you today for being our pinch hitter for uh, Sal Artiga, one of the uh, guys who brought in the uh, Latino player, coach of the Arizona Fall League, helped minor league baseball get to where they are. Hey, thank you for being our pinch hitter today, Scotty. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Thanks, Ferris. All right. Hey, we're nice right back for Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial. Your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Man, it's great to have you part of our show. Remember, you can be part of our show in a different way. You can email us by going to docsandjocks.com, hit the contact button, and send us your email. If you may have a sports medicine injury or question of your own about a shoulder, a hip, a knee, a back, man, we'd love to have you uh, get some advice to help you get back out on the field earlier. We're not taking the place of your doctor, just kind of give you some information, kind of point you in the right direction, man. So glad to be part of our show. I'm Dr. Dan, 20-year sports medicine physician, along with my co-host Ferris Potter, longtime sports medicine or sports broadcaster, doing my sports medicine radio show for here about the last. How long have you been doing this now, Ferris? We've been doing this like five years, ten years? Hundred years? Yeah. Something like Somewhere that. Somewhere between five and ten. I think it's like <laughs> six or seven, right? I know. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's been great, yeah. man. It's been a fun ride. Appreciate it. SB Nation. Our show is now nationally syndicated. Man, it's awesome having uh, them on board as well. Just had a great interview with Sal Artiga. Sal is uh, the forerunner Ferris, as you well well know now, of the uh, Latino player in baseball. You talk about making a change on how bringing a, a great group of athletes, a great group of players from Puerto Rico, the Dominican, Venezuela. Mexico, wow. man, have been a lot of great players. If you look at the uh, awards that just were given out, there are a lot of foreign players winning some awards now, uh, foreign-born players that are winning awards in Major League Baseball all throughout. Uh, partially responsible is the guy that we just interviewed. Yeah, I mean, it changed the game, right? I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, when they integrated baseball, obviously changed the game and made it a bunch better. When they started getting Latin players in, made it a bunch better. Now we're seeing, I mean, with Otani winning, that we're seeing Japanese players. We're seeing players from all over the world. I mean, Didi Gregoris is from the Netherlands, you know? Yeah. So every time we bring more people, make it available to more different uh, nationalities and cultures. It's better. But probably the biggest impact outside of, you know, Jackie Robinson and bringing it to you know to all Americans, bringing the black players into baseball is the Latinos. I mean they yeah. they're on they, I mean that's just been bred in a lot of the cultures there in the islands, and they're such good players. It's just it, an influx of great players into into Major League Baseball. Also, a guy that helped grow the minor leagues. You and I like reading about minor league baseball and like going to minor yeah. league baseball. Uh, where nobody knows your name is one of the books I think you put me on to. Is a great book about minor leagues and and talking about how. Uh, a lot of funny things happen in the minor leagues. But, yeah, talk to you, uh, our listening audience if they haven't been to a minor league baseball game, how that can be a great experience. Well, you know, a lot of times they're in places where that's the only game in town other than high school ball. And, you know, it's it's guys just trying to make it to the next level. And, you know, depending on what level you're at, you might be an A ball where that might be, you know, similar to like a Division One or a little bit below Division One. you know, top teams in Division One baseball. Then you get to the, a, you know, double A and triple A. And, I mean, it's funny, guys in double A and triple A, they're – even in double A now, they're 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 a step away. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt out here in Arizona, he went straight from double A to to pro ball and never missed a beat. So, mm-hmm. it's great because it's smaller crowd, you get closer access. It's not as expensive of a ticket, you know. I, I love minor league ball. Whenever I'm traveling anywhere, I always look at the schedule to see if there's a minor league game in town because you know living in phoenix there's no minor league baseball and we get the fall league and i try yeah. to get out to as many as those i can but there's no minor league baseball because you can't be that close to the, to the major league team unfortunately um you know tucson has had some minor league baseball but yeah it's a it's a heck of a lot of fun man yeah it was also interesting to find out that sal was a part of the i believe he was the president of the first arizona fall league uh that played in fact that's where you kind of cut your teeth did a little broadcasting a little uh administration uh, with uh, the arizona fall league tell our listening audience what that's about 
Yeah, I believe he was. I believe Mike Port uh, was the initial one, and then and then Sal was the the second or third guy. Now Steve Cobb's been there for like thirty years. But yeah, the fall league is a great idea. I mean, typically in baseball, people don't realize this, but some guys play year round. Uh, you know, they they once they get to pros, they play year round. So the minor league season ends after one hundred and forty two, one hundred and fifty games, and they go right to winter ball. And so they were sending guys down to Dominican, Venezuela, the the warmer climates. But they didn't want to send their top prospects overseas because many things about overseas is awesome, but it's also not like being in America, right? Yeah. So there's some issues <laughs> there at times. So basically all the major league teams got together and said, hey, we're going to send our top six prospects from every team to Arizona. And we're going to have, I think it's eight teams down here now. Uh, started in 92. I was, a, I was a, a, they called them general managers of the uh of the Grand Canyon Rafters. They played at Grand Canyon because uh, Timmy Diablo was getting getting redone. But, I mean, just to give you an idea, that first year, Mike Piazza was the MVP of the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. You know? I mean, Ryan Klusko was down there. The manager of my team was Grady Little, who took yeah. Boston to the playoffs, who took the Dodgers to the playoffs. His hitting coach was Terry Francona, oh, who wow. won a World Series. I mean, yeah. Dusty Baker was Mike Piazza's uh, manager. So, it's a great, it's a great like forty-five game schedule from October to mid-November in Arizona, and you get to see the best. Play. I mean, Ronald Acuna played there last year, I believe, you know, and he's a rookie of the year. So it's unbelievable baseball. They still only get about one hundred and fifty, two hundred fans out there. Although the All Star Game got a, got a lot this year, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't. We could talk about baseball. We love baseball. Not everybody does as much <laughs> as we do, but yeah. So but awesome. the minor leagues, all this, all this uh, non major league baseball, it's pretty incredible level. It is. I mean, that was a great interview. If you ever missed one of our interviews we hear on Docs and Jocks, uh, you, if you want to go back and listen to it again, you can go do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and listen to our interviews anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Hey, a big basketball story right now, Ferris, is Carmelo Anthony. And if he's the aging superstar, he was the uh, he's the third leading active scorer in, in the NBA. Well, I guess he was the active leading scorer. He's just been cut by the Rockets, so he's looking for a new team. He went 1-11 in his last game with the Rockets. Man, it's hard to watch when superstars age. I remember when I was a kid, uh, Willie Mays was at the very end of his career, and I remember the New York Mets had made the World Series. I believe it was 1973, and Willie Mays was on the bench, wasn't even playing, and it came up in a big situation in the ninth inning. Everybody thought Willie Mays might come up to bat, and Yogi Berra, his manager, decided to pinch hit somebody else other than the great Willie Mays, and that was the end of his career. But it's hard to watch the great ones age because you just, in your mind, you will always remember Carmelo Anthony with the – you know, the cornrows shooting the great shots for uh, Denver and then his time he's had with the Knicks. But, it, man, it's just been rough with the uh, Houston Rockets. It just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine. Don't you think he'll hook on somewhere? Because, I mean, he's still Probably. fairly healthy and he can still shoot the ball. But yeah. he's pretty one-dimensional. Well, he's always somewhat one-dimensional <laughs> after college because he didn't care about defense as much as he probably should have. But, yeah, especially in basketball, man, they lose it fast. But you're right, I mean. Some of these guys hang on, and you understand why. You don't want to ever take off the spikes or the sneakers yeah. unless somebody makes you because you always regret it. But, yeah, yeah, that's you try to remember Willie Mays patrolling, you know, the polo grounds, not, you know, ending his career as a Met and getting yeah. pulled or pinch hit for, you know. I know, I know. And then you remember, uh, like, Joe Namath finished with the Rams. Emmitt Smith finished with the Cardinals. Fernando um, – yeah, Fernando Valenzuela finished with the St. Louis Cardinals. They always go to these random Gosh, teams. Gosh, I don't even remember that. Yeah, that, I just remember that Fernando is the last of his career was with the St. Louis Cardinals. You try and forget it because they just weren't the former. Wow, they like yeah. to shell themselves. So, yeah, it's hard to remember those guys. Hey, but I want you to realize, too, when we talk about aging in sports, 
just because maybe you age from the elite level you were at, you know, I'm going to give you some points that we can talk about why exercise and staying active and staying athletic and staying competitive at no matter what age you are, 40s, 50s, 60s, it's so important. Remember, your potential declines, but your ability to maximize your potential does not. So what I mean by that, Ferris, is you've heard of your VO2 max, your aerobic capacity. That's your ability right. to stay, you know, have a great endurance, how much oxygen your muscles are, are utilizing at any given time. That decreases with age. But remember, if you train, you can utilize a higher percentage of your maximal VO2 max. So even though it may be coming down, if you train hard like you do, Ferris, with P90X, like I do here with the, the uh, four javelin, you can maximize your percentage of the VO2 max you can attain. So it, it, it can be it can be equalized. I know you can't stop it forever, but you can definitely mm-hmm. stay active. Remember, also wisdom cancels out some of the advantages of youth. So we learn things like wisdom would be uh, if I decide I'm going to eat cleaner, I'm going to eat better, and I'm going to go to sleep at an earlier time because I know that makes me better. Probably when I was 18, I know you and I were college uh, Greek friends mm-hmm. in college, we stayed up a little late. We didn't always eat the best. And those are things you uh, wisdom can outgain youth from the ability to make those wise decisions. Would you agree with that one for sure since you and I grew up together? Yeah, I mean I'm still waiting for that to kick in for me. Uh, the, <laughs> the wisdom, wisdom part as yeah. as I'm on I'm I'm now in the right at 50. I'm not on the north or the south side of that. You and I are right there on yeah. that that uh, borderline there. So I'm still waiting for the wisdom to kick in, but I'm amazed nowadays especially with how especially in America, it's so easy to eat right, it's so easy to do a lot of things, it's so convenient to work out. There's you can work out everywhere. I work out in a garage, you work out in a great gym. I mean this it's so easy. It's not simple. People don't do it, you know, but it's so it's available, I guess I should say. So there's exactly. really not, I mean, you can really, com- especially in America, you can really combat the effects of aging. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I think about aging is, you know, don't, don't worry about what you can't change, right? We're going to age, so don't worry about those things, man. Make sure that you're living a lifestyle that kind of decreases your stress. It doesn't, doesn't increase your stress. I think that's one of the things that with you and I, fears. you know, as you age, you get to a place in your life where you're into that lifestyle, and we've kind of gotten past having to push hard, push hard, push hard to try and get maybe our business growing, our family taken care of, and now you know you're able to kind of relax into it. So don't realize you, you can't change your aging, but you can relax into it and lower your stress with it. Also, there's been a few articles about training can possibly kill you. You know, they talk about runners having setting cardiac arrhythmias. You know, most of those studies have not panned out, and there's so many benefits from exercising. Could you have a cardiac arrhythmia when you're running or climbing mountains or doing endurance sports when you're 56 years old, you could, right? But there's also arrhythmias in the general population who don't exercise. So just realize that, you know, you you improve your bone density when you exercise, when you do weight training. You increase your strength so you're less likely to have falls if you're in your 60s or 70s and you're exercising. There are guys out there like Orville Rogers. If you haven't heard our interview with the 100-year-old Orville Rogers and 94-year-old Bobby Brown, New York Yankee, Orville went out and ran... He's breaking records for the 100-yard dash, the 200-meter dash, the 400-meter dash. As a 100-year-old, he's doing that. And Bobby Brown is 94 years old, still sharp as a tack, still going to TCU baseball games. So if you if you work out, if you do some training, if you do some exercise, you take care of your body, you can pre- prevent a lot of the effects that aging can have on you. It is going to have some effects, but you can age, you can change how much those maximal effects are on you. And go back and listen to those interviews with Orville Rogers and Bobby Brown. But those are just a couple examples, Ferris, I think. But man, don't be afraid that exercise is going to make you injured or worse. I can just tell you what I see all day in my job at Texas Sport and Spine. I see injuries, I would say, 
or complications of immobility. When you stop being active, yeah. you get weak. If you age poorly and you get weak, it is a bad, bad combination for sure. So, man, I, I, I fair say you, you and I are now hitting the fifty mark. I know you love to work out on a routine Hit basis, it. but it's better. Hit it. it. It's better. It's oh actually, yeah. yeah, and look, and 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 we talk about it all the time. That's why we're big proponents of of adding some some strength training and some weight training, you know, uh, as well. Because like to your point. Yeah, that's the worst. That it, what happens is people fall or they have an injury, and then next thing they know, you know, they're in the hospital or they get older or they don't recover as quickly. That type of stuff. So yeah, yeah, get out there. I mean, gosh, there's so much stuff out there. Could it kill you? Sure, yeah, I guess so. But <laughs> the, the the chances are so minimal, and yeah. the, we know the effects of if you actually work out and 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 do things. We know that's a good effect. So we may see the end of Carmelo Anthony's career. We will see that sometime soon. But it doesn't mean that Carmelo can't continue to exercise and be competitive and still be out there doing the things he needs to do in his 30s, his 40s, his 50s, his 60s, his 70s, his 80s, his 90s. And if you listen to our interview with Orville Rogers, his hundreds. So, Ferris, the best type of exercise is which one? The one you will do. The one you will do. Find out what it is you like to do and get exercise and stay active. Don't let age be your excuse. There's many excuses you can have out there. Age, injury. But remember, you can modify. You can make it fit what you like to do. But find out what it is, what it is you enjoy doing and get out there and be participating. Get up and get moving. That's what we like to talk about here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, when we come back, we're going to have our closing segment for our SB Nation interview. Remember, we got another hour after that spot. So stay tuned here with us on Docs and Jocks. Justin Sua is a mental performance consultant, and I recently read a tweet from him that I totally agree with. He stated, Many people start on the path to their dreams with the right intentions, surround themselves with great resources, and have all the physical ability in the world. However, they give up because they are unwilling to do one thing, embrace the boredom of consistency day after day. I firmly believe this happens to many athletes. When we witness professional athletes on TV and social media winning games and championships, All we see is the very end result. We don't see the daily grind that gets the athlete to this place. We don't see the monotony and the struggle to work hard every day. We don't see the athlete struggle within himself to do what's necessary even when he doesn't feel like it. Here at The Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to help them understand this process and to build the skills and tools necessary to handle this daily grind. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about this, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is our last segment on our SB Nation podcast, or our SB Nation show. But remember, you can listen to our podcast, our entire two hours, and you can listen to us if we're in one of our radio areas that catch our show for our next hour here on Docs and Jocks. If you ever want to catch our entire show, go to iTunes, uh, Docs and Jocks on our podcast there and listen to us. At your convenience. And Ferris, I thought we'd close out the show. We were talking about how you know, Carmelo Anthony was uh, aging and he was probably going to be finished up in his NBA career. We always are sad to see our superstars go. But uh, we were talking about the effects of how when you uh, exercise, it can decrease the effects of aging. And uh, it reminded me of one of our guests we had previously on our show, Jesse Itzler. He is the owner of, uh, man, what do, where do we start? Zico is uh, his coconut water. He uh, owned uh, his jet, I think he sold his uh, jet company, Marquee Jets, to uh, Warren Buffett. He's one of the remarkable guys that uh, did a book called Living with a Seal, Now Living with the Monks. But he he put it in, in per- perspective for us. He said, he asked me how old I was. You and I are both about 50, Ferris. And he said, uh, you know, if an average American lives about 26, that means you got 26 summers really left to do the things you want to do. And so remember, the last few years of your life, sometimes you can't always do the things you want to do. 
but uh, you can right now. So the clock is always ticking. So, man, be out there doing the things you enjoy doing. And Jesse put that in good perspective. I just want to remind our listening audience of that. But that's a good way to think of it, isn't it, Ferris? Yeah, I mean, he just was trying to be uh, more forthright about time being yeah. the issue. And he wants to be active enough that he can do the things he wants to do, but he wants to map it out. Hey, I've got 26 summers, so if I want to take that's 26 more summer vacations with my family, yep. you know. So be intentional about mapping that out, you know. Uh, it's it's kind of a good reminder because you get caught in the rhythm. You're just doing life, doing, doing it. Next thing you know, you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm 75, I'm 80, and maybe I can't do this stuff. I always wanted to do such and such, and I can't do it anymore, you know? Yeah, I, I had a, one of those moments. I just woke up straight out of bed the other night, and I said, my son has eight months in my house still left, and he's the last of my, I'm, I'm an empty nester. Yeah, crazy. Younger. Yeah, I just woke up. I said, I got eight months left, and then all my kids are out of my house. I was like, as I woke up the next morning, I'm like, hey, hey, Caleb, let's go do something. And we went out and did something that day. So Were you were you happy or were you sad about that realization? I'm a little sad, I have to say. I I'm, know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited Weird, about huh? the next stage of my life, but I think we all should be. Hey, what you should be excited about is our next <laughs> hour of Docs and Jocks, which is coming up here shortly. Hey, man, we want to say thank you to all our SB Nation listeners. Listen to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Myself, Dr. Dan Affairs, so long. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, man. Thanks for joining us. Our second hour here on what we're talking about as far as what's going on with regards to injuries in the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. Hey, you don't want to miss our interview we have coming up with Coach Jimmy Keeling. He is one of the winningest coaches in high school Texas football as well as college football. He's inducted into the High School Coaches Association Hall of Honor. Man, this guy is a wealth of knowledge. Always one of those guys that every time I talk to him, I pick up new little – phrases, noodle things that I put in the back of my mind that I lock in there. I like always I, – one time, Ferris, this is a good point. I need to bring this up. I'll listen to the audience. <laughs> Coach, uh, there was a guy named Dr. Dan Foster. He was the premier uh, specialist in endocrinology or, or diabetes. He was an internist, but he has specialty in diabetes. And he was brilliant, Ferris. I mean, every time I talked to the man, he's just one of those guys that had so much knowledge. I always wondered how he took information in. And he was always learning new journals and those kind of things. And his, he said this. He goes – when I listen to someone give a, a lecture or a topic, I, I try and take three things away from it. I write down three things. He goes, of those three things, just realistically, I'm going to remember one of them for a long period of time. So I rank mm-hmm. them, and I, listen, I write down what I hear from those guys as far as three things I want to remember from that lecture. And then I take that one piece of nugget, that one great one, and I lock it in my, in my cabinet, man. That's, it's there, and it's going to be part of who I am and how, how I listen to things. When you coach Jimmy mm-hmm. Keeling, there's always something. I guarantee there's going to be some phrase you hear, something he tells you about maybe, you know, what players are great or, you know, who do you listen to or how do you direct a team. Those are the kind of things you're going to want to lock away, put in the cabinet, as Dr. Dan Foster used to say when Coach Keeling talks. He's one of those dudes, Ferris. Yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of guys like that on Bobby Brown. I mean, I mean, I can't name them all now, but guys who are older later in life but just have, have done so much stuff. Yeah. And when they talk, they don't even really try to, you know, give you nuggets of wisdom, but everything they say, you're like, oh, yeah. I never thought of it that way. G.A. <laughs> Moore, Gene Stallings. Uh, yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Ray Barry, who uh, played, you know, was played with Johnny Unitas, was a, was a wide receiver. I mean, there's the list is is huge as far as guys giving us some great information. You, you referenced oh, a, Train Ward. I oh, mean, Jim crazy, Ward. Oh, yeah, Train know? was I mean, great. Geez. God rest his soul. Yeah, Train was one of my favorites. He, he pitched for the Dodgers organization for ten years in the minors. Then he became their uh, batting practice pitcher, and 
He was basically with the Dodgers through that whole 60s, 70s, 80s era when the Dodgers were really doing their thing with Walt Olson and then later with Tommy Lasorda. So Train just passed away this last year. One of my favorite people on the planet. I miss him so dearly. Hey, what you don't want to miss is our show here on Docs and Jocks. We're going to come back. We're going to have an interview with uh, Coach Jimmy Keeling. Stay tuned here with us on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown! Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter. Hey, we're getting ready after this interview, after this segment, to have an interview with Coach Jimmy Keeling, one of the all-time greatest coaches in high school football in Texas, as at the high school and college level. Also, uh, he is the author of a book named Mighty Mighty Matadors. Talks about his great year at Lubbock Estacado. He's a co-author with uh, Al Pickett, one of the uh, big country Hall of Famers here, who I had the fortune of last week, Ferris, doing a sports broadcast as you do all the time with uh, Grand Canyon University and all your sports broadcasting gigs out there in Phoenix, Arizona. I was able to, to do a sports broadcast with the great Al Pickett as we brought the Hardin-Simmons University Cowboys against the McMurray Warhawks last week in football. The Hardin-Simmons Cowboys were victorious 83-6. to And I tell you what, man, I've learned that the, there's a lot of field time, a lot of field time when it's 83-6. to <laughs> <laughs> And the score was and the game wasn't as close as the score might uh, intend. So 83-6, to yeah. Hardin-Simmons had that one in the bag. I've had a few of those. I uh, haven't done a lot of football, but I've had a few of those basketball games where you're up 30, 35 with about 16 minutes to go, and you're going, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Man, baseball, what, what happens? Uh, what, what do you do? Uh, what's your greatest filler? What's your go-to when uh, a game is blown out in baseball? Say it's a 15-run lead in the fifth inning. What are you doing for the next two to four innings? Well, you hope it's a conference game in the Western Athletic Conference because they have a 10-run rule after seven for conference <laughs> yeah. games. Uh, but, but, but if they don't, you just try to make the best of it. The good thing about baseball is you can kind of talk about whatever you want. You try to find stories about the players as they come up. You talk about the schedule coming up more. If you've got an analyst with you, you just got to start talking about baseball stories. I mean, when I was doing uh, the WAC tournament, I had Russ Ortiz with me. You know, that's when you get into, hey, what was it like? What was Greg Maddox like? Hey, what was Tom Glavin like? What was John Smoltz like? And just let those guys go on and tell stories. But if you're by yourself, Woof. Oh, that's got to be talking. rough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, let's talk about the NFL right now. One of the big injuries in the NFL was a game we that occurred last night. Uh, the Green Bay Packers uh, were playing, and it uh, looks like the Packers may have lost their star tight end, Jimmy Graham, to a thumb fracture. And uh, they were playing the Seahawks, and he came out of the game, and they couldn't get his glove back on because his thumb was bothering him so bad. <laughs> so thumb injuries are obviously important to everybody, but especially to a wide receiver, a tight end type player who's catching a lot of balls. Remember, Ferris, I'm going to kind of describe thumb anatomy. I always say if you want to know and understand an injury, you have to understand the anatomy that goes with it. So you have two bones in your thumb that we think of as the thumb, right? You have your phalanx. That's the uh, phalange. It's called your distal phalange. is the part that they, where your fingernail, the bone in, underneath your fingernail, your distal uh, phalange. And then you have your uh, proximal phalange. That's where your the base of your thumb where it attaches in to your knuckle that joins into your hand and then you have your first metacarpal which is the big bone in your hand that attaches to your carpal bones which is your wrist so anywhere along that you can have a fracture obviously you can break a, a bone in the uh, phalanges you can break your thumb itself <clears throat> a real common or more common area is down in that first metacarpal if you fracture that especially at the base of your thumb some of those fractures we give them names because remember any fracture and the way you think of fractures you can have them in the shaft which is the long bone if you're looking at a chicken bone, you see the shaft. Uh, that's in the mm-hmm. middle of the bone. And then at the end of the bone, you have the joints. 
And anytime you have a fracture that involves the joint itself, it's always a bit more of a severe injury because you're now dealing with that uh, into that uh, joint bone. We call that your articulating surface. And when you have an injury there, it now can set you up for bad arthritis if you don't get it set right correctly and, and treat it correctly. So most of the joint injuries or fractures, I mean, mm. that occur at the at that level, they end up having to have a, a surgical fix. Some of those fractures are uh, Bennett or Rolando. Those are down near the base of your thumb where it attaches into your carpal bones, where your, your uh, first metacarpal attaches into your carpal bones. And those could be some really bad injuries. So you never know where they're at, but... What it does for the Green Bay Packers, if you lose Jimmy Graham, one of uh, Brett, I'm, I'm sorry, I always say Brett Favre when I say Aaron Rodgers, but one of Aaron Rodgers' biggest <laughs> targets, uh, that is going to put him in a real, real difficult situation because they've already lost Geronimo Allison, who's out after having a surgery to one of the core muscles, which is the m- muscles that surround your back and your lower abs, and uh, they've also then also lost Randall Cobb, who's out with a hamstring injury. So, you know, we talk about Aaron Rodgers and how the Green Bay Packers aren't living up to exactly what the expectations were before the season. A big part of that is due to Ferris what? Injury, right? Injuries. Yeah, yeah injuries. injuries. So if Jimmy Graham goes down, it's going to be tough on the Green Bay Packers to try and climb back in this thing for sure. Yeah, I don't know why they even try to get good players for Aaron Rodgers. Did They either get hurt or they trade him away or they <laughs> let him leave. It's like... They, I mean, look, I'm not saying nobody on Green Bay is good, right? They're obviously good. They're professional players. But can you name any skilled player on his team? Not like, now other that Jimmy Graham him? went down, yeah, and Randall Cobb. I could have done Randall Cobb and I could have done uh, uh, Jimmy Graham, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, you can't name – who's his running back? Like, they got rid of Ty Montgomery, right? They traded him after he didn't – he tried to run that one out of the end zone. I mean, they, they like, they saddled this guy with zero skill support. Zero. So having Jimmy Graham down, they'll probably be about the same as they, they've always been. But you talk, we talked a little bit in the first uh, hour about the trouble in paradise that Steve uh, Kerr calls a spiritual issue. You know, the, the guys chirping and not being happy. They're having those same troubles in Green Bay, man, because Rodgers is getting tired of, of, of Mike McCarthy. I mean, basically saying, here's the ball, Aaron, go win me the game. Yeah, you know? I mean, exactly. There's nothing innovative about the offense. It's just, hey, Aaron, go, go, be, go win. And yeah. he does a lot. A lot. Man, yeah, now without Jimmy Graham? Who's oh, he going to throw to? I know. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is the second all-time greatest passer rating in the fourth quarter. He's one of the greatest comeback quarterbacks of all time. This is a great trivia question for affairs. Who's the number one? Do you have any idea who number one? Who's the greatest comeback quarterback of all time in passer rating? John, John Elway. He's in, the, he's in the list. He's in the short. He's, uh, okay. he's not in top um, five. Roger Staubach? The, the guy that Aaron Rodgers went against last night, Russell Wilson. Oh, Wilson. Yeah, Isn't man, that really amazing? You had the two best passer rages of the fourth quarter of all time, those guys. So you had, yeah, you have Russell Wilson, then you have uh, Rodgers. Then the third one, our uh, producer of our show here, Brandon Hawk, his good buddy, Tony Romo, is number three all time passer rating. Then you go Steve Young and Tom Brady. So pretty elite group there. But yeah, you, Tell me those again. Who? Tell me those again. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. This is in order. Tony Romo, Steve Young, Tom Brady. Huh. Wow. Now, you know me. I've I've got I've got some issues with Tom Brady and him being called the greatest of all time. I get very bitter about the whole thing. So <laughs> I, I I definitely slanted on that. Uh, I think Tom terrific is terrific, but I don't think he's the greatest of all time. I think Aaron Rodgers is the to my in my mind the greatest of all time because he can do so much with so little. I think John Elway would be number two for me. And it's weird, Doctor Dan. I was driving around listening to the game last night. I was going, you know, if I was starting a brand new team now from scratch and I had no idea if I was going to have an offensive line, good skill, good nothing, but I had to take a quarterback, 
I think I would take Aaron Rodgers, John Elway, or Russell Wilson because that, they can good? just do stuff on their own. They can do stuff with their legs. They can figure out how to make plays. So you you're know? not taking the great Pat Mahomes, man? You're not taking Patrick Mahomes who's the number one since he's – I mean, everybody's talking about how he's the greatest quarterback of all time already. Well, I would like to see at least one more game before I christen <laughs> him the greatest of all time. I like, I'd like to see – maybe you could win a playoff game. I don't know uh, before you're the greatest of all time. But also, that's a great example. If you gave, if you dropped Russell Wilson or John Elway, or if you dropped Aaron Rodgers into that offense, oh my goodness. I mean, he does not have a Tariq Hill. He does not have a a Travis Kelsey. He does not have a Kareem Hunt. He does not have an offensive line that can block, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, amazing how he does it uh, year after year. And plus, remember, he's been playing with a banged-up knee where he's basically playing off one leg. The other thing about uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think he has a really hard time because he's always been a guy that kind of went out there and he uses his legs as well. But now he's kind of getting banged up. You know what I mean? He's he's not yeah, the same guy. He's not as old, not as young as he was, and he, I think those injuries are kind of. You saw him wince on last night on, on every game or every time he went down in the game. He kind of winced and looked like an old man getting up. He had that like slow get up. He just looked like he was like ah that hurt. So you know he's been used to playing a certain way his whole career running and making the play and scrambling when they when they needed him to. I think those days are quickly coming to an end for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, he's not going anywhere, I would I would doubt, from Green Bay, but it'll be interesting to see if they do get rid of Mike McCarthy and see kind of what they do. But, uh, yeah, that, that boy, that, that hurts bad not having Jimmy Graham. Oh, I know, absolutely, yeah. It, uh, did it surprise you that Russell Wilson has a 109 passer rating and he's the greatest of all time in the fourth quarter? I mean, now, granted, he may not well, it end does up being when there. when you say it, but, yeah, yeah. He's had so many fourth-quarter comebacks. I thought Roger Staubach would be in there, too. And Joe Montana, where's that at? Joe Montana had so many great fourth-quarter comebacks for not only the 49ers, Overrated. but for your Chiefs. Overrated. Joe Montana was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? No, I like Joe, too. Yeah, Joe's yeah. awesome. A lot of There's great just ones. So many, it's hard to tell who the greatest of all time is. I mean, obviously Brady would be up there in that discussion, but it, it's just so different. I mean, I, I think it's funny when they're like, oh, so-and-so was a system quarterback. Well, yeah, of course Joe Montana was a system quarterback. He ran the West Coast offense better than anybody ever before, but they're all system quarterbacks at some yeah. point. You know. Well, one of the greatest of all time in the coaching ranks is who we're going to have on next, Coach yeah. Jimmy Keeling here on Docs and Jocks. Stay tuned with us. We'll be right back to more of your Sports Medicine Radio Show. Just a bit. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. We're talking about what's going on in the sports medicine world. Hey, remember, if you ever want to find out more about what you can do uh, to come start training yourself, come to the Forge Abilene, and uh, you can check it out and see if it might be the place for you to start doing your sports training as well. Hey, Ferris, we have online a good friend of uh, Docs and Jocks and a very good friend of mine, dear friend, my mentor, Coach Jimmy Keeling. He is one of the uh, winningest coaches in uh, high school and college football in the state of Texas. He was uh, won a state championship at Lubbock Estacado and as a high school coach he's been inducted in the Texas High School Coaches uh, Association Hall of Honor and uh, he's also one of the winningest coaches uh, at Hardin-Simmons University. I call him the father of Hardin-Simmons University of football. I know it was around before he got there. But he just made it really, really good when he got there. He had 19 consecutive winning se- seasons at Hardin-Simmons University, the winningest team at any level, Division One, Two, Three in the NCAA for an entire decade. Coach Keeling, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Oh, I'm, uh, it's fun. It's always fun to be busy with you guys. Well, Coach Keeling, I'm glad you finally retired from football because your intro is so long that if you kept playing, who knows what we'd have done. We'd, the entire interview would just been your intro. Oh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. It, 
Just say, here's old coach. That's, that's all I need. Yeah. Well, you know what, Coach Keeling, uh, your team, uh, Hardin-Simmons University, who's now coached by one of your greatest players you ever played for you, Coach Jesse Burleson, who's an All-American Hardin-Simmons, they, uh, they just found out that they're going to be pl- going down and playing Mary Harden-Baylor. For those of you who don't follow Division III uh, NCAA football, Mary Harden-Baylor, I believe, is ranked second. We're ranked, I believe, sixth or seventh. It's uh, in the first round of the playoffs, and number two is facing a number six. That'd be like, you know, putting uh, Duke against Kentucky in the first round of March Madness. But are you excited about the playoff game? And tell us uh, what you expect from your Harden Simmons Cowboys. Well, I, you know, I think we'll play really well. And I'm, you know, it's exciting to be in the NCAA playoffs. Yeah. And uh, we are, we, this is the fourth consecutive year that, uh, you know, Coach Burleson has gotten these guys into the playoffs. And there's only, I mean, there are 250 teams that play Division Three football. And only 32 of those teams get to be in the in the in the national playoffs, and that's the 250 teams from all across the nation. So when you do that four consecutive years, and uh, this is the fourth nine months regular season as well. Yes, yeah. So uh, I'm you know I'm really proud, and I'm really excited about going down to. Belton tomorrow, I'm going down, and I'm going to expect us to end up with more points than those guys have. Well, you know, you're getting to watch one of the greatest wide receivers at Hardin-Simmons University this year at Reese Childress. He reminds me of one of the, if not the best, uh, wide receivers that ever played at Hardin-Simmons University, uh, Kirk Rogers, who we've had here on Docs and Jocks, one of the great wide receivers for you. Tell us how, when you watch uh, a guy like Reese Childress, who played at Abilene High and now is breaking records at Hardin-Simmons University in his senior years, breaking records both for what he's done this year as well as career records. Tell us uh, some of the comparisons between he and Kirk Rogers, one of the best wide receivers that went on and played for short term with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs when you were coaching. Well, both of them are very outstanding football players. And, you know, I I absolutely love watching Reese play. I'm one of Reese's biggest fans. Uh, I would have enjoyed, I would have really enjoyed coaching Reese because, he would have made a better coach out of me. I mean, gosh almighty, he just makes great <laughs> plays. Yeah, he does. But uh, I think one of the, the big things that, if I, you know, making a comparison is both of uh, those guys uh, have great speed. You know, they have yep. excellent speed, which is uh, valuable in sports and certainly in football. And and they both uh, catch the ball extremely well, and, and, and they're both very competitive and uh, – I mean, they're just both talented players that uh, you know that have a desire to achieve, and they're great team guys. And so, you know, if we'd have had both those guys on the same team, that sure would have been a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But every time I saw Kirk Rogers, when uh, the ball did not go his way, he would look up to Alan Ward as your offense coordinator and say, "I was open." So if they would have thrown it to Reese too hey. much, Kirk would have wanted the ball a little bit more. I'm just joking, but yeah, those great ones—they always want the ball, don't they, Coach? Well, you know, they do. Great receivers want to catch the ball. And I will tell you this, and, and Kirk knows it because it's the truth. Every time Kirk left the field, came off the field, he, he would come by me and say, throw me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, we're talk, talking to Coach uh, Jimmy Keeling here, uh, the one of the uh, Texas High School Coaches Association, all the Hall of Honor coaches. Ferris, do you have a uh, question for Coach Keeling? Yeah, Coach, you've been uh, watching the ball games now from up in the booth for a while. Do you get more nervous sitting uh, sitting in the stands, sitting in the booth watching a ball game, or back when you were coaching a ball game? Oh gosh, that's a uh, you know, is there's there's nothing like the intensity of game day when you're a coach or a, you know, I think obviously a player, but 
as a coach, there's a you have this whole buildup of the entire week of preparation plus the all the off season and all that. So when it finally gets to be game time, there's just a feeling of anticipation and. I don't know if you call it nervousness or not, but it's just an unbelievable feeling of competitiveness and all that that comes out. So sitting and watching a game, uh, you know, I don't no, I don't think you have those same emotions, although I do uh, see watch with great interest every play that Winhard and Simmons plays, without a doubt. Hey, Coach, uh, people who uh, probably don't follow Division Three don't understand this, but you're probably the Nick Saban of Division Three college coaching, a guy that's uh, led an Alabama program to great things. What is it, uh, if you're talking to a young guy, how is it that you can take a group of men that are you know 18 to 23 years old and get them all focused in the same direction on a given day, any given day? What is it about some of you great ones that are able to take those group of people and, and motivate them to be great like you are? Well, I don't, you know, I think the, I think to me, the real deal is that they have to know that you really care about them as a person, first of all. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a, as a coach, I always, uh, we, we made a great effort to know our players, you know, and find out about, a lot about them, about their parents and about their siblings or, you know, and what they were interested in, what they were majoring in and have a true, really honest interest in their lives and, and, them as people and to me that's one of the big things if you know if they really know you really care about them and they know as a group that you really care about them then uh, i think you know and one of our things that we preached constantly was unity is the secret i mean we told our guys that constantly we told it to them every week and it's i guess it's still written on the wall in huge letters that aren't similar to the dressing room but you know, really getting all those guys pulling together and caring about each other. and We preach uh, constantly there's no hope for a selfish player. and So some of those things that we were just trying to get everyone on the same page. And if we, if one, if we win, you know, if, we, if one of us wins, we all win. If we win, we win as a group. Hey, what is it, what is your old, your saying you used to say about coaches, uh, and the players, there was a, it was a, it was a soliloquy of about five sentences I used to see on the board when you were coaching all the time. Like, coaches make great players. Coaches care about players. I can't remember exactly how it goes. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Well, you know, uh, I think we we had a four way test thing. I think, yes, what you're yes, talking yes, about. yes. Well, you know, and you know, we think we think the number is obviously uh, coaches have to care about players, and players have to care about coaches, and but. Players have to care about players, and uh, you know we think we think we just thought, think that those things were tremendously important. You got to believe in your coaches. Coaches got to believe in players. Players got to believe in each other. And if you get that kind of an atmosphere, well, it just makes everything a lot of fun. And you know, I, I think you know at Harden Simmons, the years I got to be there, twenty-one years, which were twenty-one great years for me in my life, and. But I think, you know, the, basically the years we were there, we had players that cared about each other. Yes, you and did. Coaches that cared about our yeah. players and players that cared about each other. And you even cared about your team doctor, man. I appreciate that as well. Hey, Ferris, do you have a hey, question? Well, yeah, we could put that number four. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always that did. true. So. And, you yeah. know, but uh, and, and you're saying that, but it really is, you know, we felt like that. It, the team doctor is part of our team, you know, yeah. and the trainers are a part of our team. Yep. It's all – 
it's all it's all of us together. I yeah. mean, if we don't do it together, we don't probably do it. Yeah, always made me feel that way. Ferris, you have a question for Coach Keeling? Yeah, Coach, when, when you were back coaching, did, did you try to – I mean, if you had a great player who you, you kind of questioned a little bit about whether he was going to be that team guy and buy into caring for everybody, did, did you try to bring him on and just try to make him care, or did you try to stay away from guys like that and just recruit the kids first off that, that fit into what you were trying to do from a cultural standpoint? Well, you know, we wanted – first of all, we wanted players that had great character, you know, and they really wanted to be students and – all of those things, and I think when you get those kind of guys, it solves a lot of problems. But uh, we also wanted really good players, you know, yeah, really talented players. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, sometimes you get a player that's very talented, but, you know, maybe he's developed some attitudes that are a little bit selfish in some ways. So we, if we found out that we had someone that we felt like it was – it was a detriment, you know, to the team in some way. We were very honest with them, I and mean, we were very straightforward and honest with them, which I think, to me, you know, you're coaching 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids. I think they can understand being truthful and honest with them. You know, I think they can understand the truth. That was one of the things and normally was... those guys would come around and do what they needed to do. That was always one of the things when uh, people would talk to uh... – Myself about Hardin Simmons University, where they always say that Coach Keeling, you were always the same uh, at your initial interview as you were after that player had played for you for four years. You weren't putting on some some type of show. And if there's anything to listen to a, if a young coach or young guys think about going to coaching, I think that's one of the things you can do as a takeaway from Coach Keeling's great career is you were honest with them from the very beginning. I think that's extremely important. I I really do. You know, I think it's important to be honest with kids and be truthful with them. And, and care about them. I mean, yeah. I think you, I think you need to, and I can use the word love and feel it and say it legitimately because I think a coach need to. You need to love those kids. Genuinely love those kids you coach. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Coach Keely, our time is always too short, man. I want to say thank you for coming on, Docs and Jocks. Thank you for the wonderful career. Uh, I saw you uh, about 20 years on the sidelines at Hardin-Simmons University and uh, couldn't have been a better example of all those kids. Hey, go Hardin-Simmons University this year, and uh, we'll see you on the sideline. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after the short commercial break. Brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, great to have you joining us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about Docs and Jocks, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, or you can listen to our podcast anytime, anywhere at uh, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, on our iTunes uh, podcast there. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our great guests today, including Scotty Sanchez, as well as uh, Coach Jimmy Keeling. That was a great interview with Coach Keeling. If you ever want to find out more about Coach Keeling, man, you can read his book, Mighty Mighty Matadors. And uh, he also has a book uh, that's all about his time at Hardin-Simmons University. Some of his great sayings were called Play Hard, Stay Purple, and Other Life Lessons. And that's exactly what he did for HSU uh, football. He played hard, stayed purple, and uh, taught a lot of life lessons to a lot of kids coming through there. But a great interview with Coach Keeling there, huh, Ferris? Yeah, a couple of great interviews uh, for, for this show, man. Yeah, here's the one I love. Uh, he actually, Coach Keeling, I always write down some of the things he says on the show. There's no hope for selfish players. He used to say that to his players all the time, man. Great one. In a, in a world where we're filled with 
you know, we've seen some crazy stuff this year with people holding out for their contracts and not wanting to play unless they get paid more money and all that kind of stuff. It's good to know there were coaches out there, like Coach Keeling, who said, uh, told his players over and over again, no hope for a selfish player. Yeah, it is interesting, you know. I mean, you, I like I like to, you know, that wide receiver you guys are talking about who'd come back and say, give me the ball, give me the ball, you know. I mean, in some ways you kind of wanted to be a little bit selfish about like, hey, get, get me in the game, I want it, and demand that stuff. But it's also they because they know they can they can uh, win it for the team, you know, and they're not <laughs> yeah. selfish about their own glory. They're just like, hey, I want to win. I want to I want to have yeah. that drive. But fitting into a team, it, most guys, a lot of guys do that. But, yeah, the ones who don't, they get all the uh, they get all the notoriety these days. Yeah, I do remember that uh, player, Kirk Rogers. I mean, he's been on Docs and Josh. I wouldn't listen to his interview, but he was definitely – you've got to be a little bit self-confident and have some inner strength to walk by your head coach every time you come off the ball, off the field, and say, throw me the ball. I mean, say, yeah. yeah, almost every time he came off the sidelines. Pretty cool. You know, I was I was at GCU practice the other day, and we've got a big guy, Alessandro Laver, is one of the top centers in the country. He's on the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar watch list as one of the top 20 centers in the country. And he was in there, and he was posting up, and they weren't throwing the ball. And he was kind of showing – he was kind of like motioning and rolling his eyes and blah, blah. And Marley just said, hey, Allie, I agree with you 100%, but quit making motions. Yell at him. Give me the bleeping ball. Like, demand the ball. If you want to <laughs> yeah. score – Get the ball and score. Make them, you know, he was, so he was kind of like, hey, at some point, yeah, be selfish, but it's in the whole team concept of that. You got to, I mean, to, to play, you got to be confident. You got to demand things from your from your other yeah. players to make them better, you know? Yeah, one of the things Coach Keeling talked about in previous interviews is how he liked a multi-sport athlete. We've talked about a lot of coaches, and, you know, in a world that's becoming less and less multi-sport where you've got to decide early and specialize in baseball, basketball, football, he liked the uh, multi-sport athlete, thought it taught you a lot of different great things and qualities about the sport that you ended up playing uh, solely. I think one of the guys we see that right now, uh, we were talking about him earlier, is Patrick Mahomes. If you look at some of his plays that he makes, when he throws, when he turns to throw opposite field, so if he's running to his left and he's throwing back across the field and does it with kind of a, a gunslinger motion where he drops down, in other words, he can throw a football at different arm angles, it is so mm-hmm. baseball-like. Remember his dad, uh, Pat Mahomes, was a major league baseball pitcher, and Patrick Mahomes, his son, was a actually played on the Texas Tech uh, baseball team, one of the, the big, great uh, collegiate programs across the country. And uh, he was a baseball player growing up. And you can see that, I think, when you see his throws, and it goes to Coach Keeling's point, that you can learn other things about how to be great in your sport from playing baseball, playing basketball if you want to be great in football. And playing uh, basketball gives you that peripheral vision in football. And uh, even in football, learning to throw from different arm angles. If you ever played third base, man, the ball either got on you real quick. Sometimes you were doing in, running in on a bunt and having to throw underhand. You had to throw from all different angles. When you're throwing to second base, you're throwing kind of a sidearm motion. First base, overhand. And uh, bunt, you're doing a three-quarter kind of thing. So lots of different things like that. And when I watch Patrick Mahomes throw, they're like, how does he throw a football that way? I think it's because he grew up as a baseball player. What do you think, Ferris? Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting. It's so foreign to guys like me and you, you know. And gosh, we've been saying this a lot this this uh, this we're this uh, show yeah. that we're fifty, <laughs> but it's so foreign to us because they they say, oh, you got to just just play baseball, just play basketball, just play football. Well, we just played those and every other sport yeah. like all the time. That's all we did. Like we'd play baseball for five six hours a day and then go play basketball for three hours a day. I, I mean, nowadays it's like no no just just play one or the other. So it's it's really a foreign concept to us kind of older guys. And most coaches are our age and they're like, no, I see the benefits of having the toughness of football that you might not get. You get a different type of toughness playing football than you do playing basketball, you know? And and they like that. I mean, coach Andy Stankowitz at GSU said, I love recruiting kids who played high school football because I know there's a toughness to that. There's a grittiness. There's a determination 
uh, and you've had to play through a lot of adversity if you've ever played football. Exactly. I totally, totally agree. Hey, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of the great football players. Uh, I think will go down as one of the great quarterbacks in the uh, short list of all time. Then Drew Brees. He just, uh, you know, he's passing TDs. He's number two now. Uh, just passed, I think it was uh, Brett Favre. He uh, only has uh, Peyton Manning ahead of him at 539. He's now at 509 for TDs Jeez. in his career. I know. But just to give you an idea, this is the, the kind of things that Drew Brees overcame. And I always talk about having to overcome injuries if you want to be great. There's lots of things you have to overcome. One of the, you know, one of the things is you have genetics, right? And his genetics said that he was going to be six foot. Well, in an NFL that says sure. that the prototypical quarterback is six three and above, in other words, you want to be able to see over those linemen, he had to overcome the fact that he's only six foot. He also, in his high school career, was 28-0-1 in his high school career at Austin Westlake, not far from where our show Docs and Jocks here comes from out of the big country. He was not recruited by the Texas Longhorns or Texas A&M where he preferred to go. And the reason was is because, uh, one of the reasons, because he had a knee injury, he tore his ACL his junior year. And because Mm. he did that, even though he uh, went undefeated and won the state championship, for Austin Westlake against uh, Abilene Cooper, by the way, who had Dominique Rhodes, a great running back, who went on to play in the NFL for yeah. the, uh, the Colts, who's been on Docs and Jocks. If you want to hear that interview, you can go to docsandjocks.com. And uh, he, his only offers were from Kentucky, not exactly a pre- prestigious uh, football program, other than a couple years they were Tim Couch and Hal Mummy at the mm-hmm. helm, and uh, Purdue. And so he elected to go to Purdue. Uh, and then he, had, he led Purdue to some uh, great wins there, but he slipped in the NFL draft due to his short stature. So he falls down in the draft. He gets taken by the Chargers. He's there with them three years. He dislocates his shoulder, and he gets sent to Miami. The Dolphins uh, team doctors there say, we're not going to clear you, man. You've had your ACL rupture in your shoulder. It doesn't look like it's where we, we think it needs to be. We're not going to clear you from a medical standpoint. So eventually he uh, winds up with the Saints. I guess their medical staff felt like he was uh, probably had some stuff left in the tank. And lo and behold, he throws for 509 lifetime touchdowns, and the rest is history, man. Crazy that Bre- that uh, Drew Brees has done that. I love those inspirational stories. A guy who overcomes short stature, ACL rupture in high school. A lot of people give up then, right? And yep. a dislocated shoulder in football. They were told by his team physicians that they weren't going to clear him to play for the uh, Miami Dolphins. What a great, great story of overcoming genetics and overcoming his injuries, both in high school and in the pros. Great story for Drew well, Brees. It- yeah, and we're 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 just like everybody else. We were just talking about greatest fourth quarter comebacks, and he doesn't make the list. And and, and quarterbacks we'd take. He never is even mentioned in uh-uh. the top probably ten of greatest quarterbacks of all time. No, like ever. Number two all time TDs. Isn't your goal as a quarterback to score touchdowns? I mean, that is re- ultimately the goal. You could throw for a lot of yards and not throw for touchdowns. Touchdowns put points on the board. Points on the board win you games. So Drew Brees has, and as far as stats go. He's going to pass Peyton Manning in not too dear, near distant future. So he is going to be one of the greatest scoring quarterbacks of all time, which in my yeah. opinion should be what the uh, what you do. It's what you can control. It's a team sport, so you can't always control winning Super Bowls. He's got one, but you can always control scoring touchdowns and scoring points and putting points on the board, and that's what he's really, really good at. Yeah, front offices get lost in a lot of stuff, and I'm sure that nobody wanted to put their name on Drew Brees because then if he fails, then the easy thing is to say, well, we told you not to draft him. He's a short guy. Why'd you draft him? You know, So you, you pass on him to kind of save your own job, cover your butt. It reminds me of Buddy Ryan when he was coaching the Arizona Cardinals, and they were like, Chris Carter's available as a free agent. Do you want Chris Carter? How good would he be? 
And he said, no, I don't want Chris Carter. All he does is catch touchdowns. <laughs> what? And he was trying to make the point. He's yeah. not a good possessor. Right. Yeah. But who cares? He's you want a guy who catches nine touchdowns. balls for 100 yards, or you want a guy who catches two balls for 50 yards and three touchdowns? And by the way, Chris, that guy. By the way Chris Carter, when he went to the Vikings, did both. He he's did. pretty he, good. Yeah, he's yeah, pretty he's good possession. Yeah, pretty good guy. Yeah, Buddy was a defensive guy. He didn't really have that. But, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want him. All he does is catch touchdowns. Oh, oh yeah. Goodness, Why would we crazy. want that guy? All Drew Brees does is throw for touchdowns, and he's done a great job. <laughs> Number two at 509. He's only got uh, 30 more to go, and he'll catch Manning. Uh, Tom Brady is not too far behind him, though, so it's going to be a little bit of a race, I think. Uh, oh, uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> I know. Here we go again with Ferris and Tom Brady. So, Hey, uh, going to talk a little about baseball awards. We're going to talk about what these players have in common. Here are four of the big awards. We have the American League, uh, National League MVP. We have the American League Rookie of the Year and the National League Rookie of the Year. You have Christian Yelich and Mookie Betts winning the um, uh, MVPs. You have Acuna uh, with the Braves, outfielder winning the uh, uh, National League Rookie of the Year, and Otani with the uh, Angels winning the American League Rookie of the Year. What do three of those four p- players uh, have in common, Ferris, if you just had to look at their build? Uh, they're just they're they're not big guys. No, I mean in in a world where you want a guy built like Mike Trout or bigger to hit home runs, these are little guys. I mean, Mookie, Mookie Betts is a little guy. Yeah, uh, Yelich is a slender guy. Acuna's not a huge guy. I love it. Only sport where little guys can dominate like that. Yeah, only sport. Yeah, from the sports training world, we always are trying to train people to be bigger, faster, stronger because that has something to do with we think going on to the next level. But you look at Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich. He's Christian Yelich is a slender guy. He's a strong guy, but he's a slender guy. Mookie yep. Betts is a, a small guy by stature and not necessarily a bowed up guy at all. Uh, Kuna is exactly the same way, smaller outfield. Otani's a pretty big guy, but man, it just goes to show you that just be if you if you are a smaller statured player and you're listening to Docs and Jocks right now. Baseball is a great sport because it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be great if you don't have a bigger stature. And last year, you know, we saw the uh, Astros um, second baseman. I'm just what am I blanking on his name for? Our little Altuve. 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 Yeah, he's another guy. Yeah. Yeah. So you see these smaller stature guys, man. So if you have more heart and you have more work and you have more want to in who you are, you can be a great baseball player. You've never heard the story of David Eckstein, the shortstop for the. California Angels, and yeah, then he the went on to play factor. with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Went on to be a World Series MVP with the St. Louis Cardinals. Small guy, wasn't recruited by anybody out of college. He worked his tail off. He went and he just stayed at, uh, was it Florida or Florida State he went to, to college at? I forget which one it was. But he went oh, there and camped remember. out before the season started his freshman year, and they saw him so much that they gave him a, a trial to play on the team, a test to see if he could play on the team, a tryout, I mean. And he ended up being the guy that was uh, picked because he had get, he worked so hard. And they're like, if a guy works this hard, we're going to put him on the you know the the short list of guys that we're going to want to play off the bench. And then he got his chance to play in games, and he did great. So man, outwork everybody. Be the guy that has the biggest heart. Just because maybe you're short stature or not big, and like like we said, Mike Trout style. You know, it doesn't. Everybody doesn't have to be that way. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I think it was really cool to see those guys get the get the MVP awards, get the Rookie of the Year awards, and they were talking about it too. It was some of the littler guys for the Red Sox had some of the bigger impact. Now I know uh, was it Pierce that won the MVP is a big guy, you know, and they got some big guys, JD Martinez, but I mean Brock Holt had a great game for those guys. I mean Mookie had a great game. Jackie Bradley's not a huge guy, you know, so. Boston didn't have that prototypical like the Dodgers where all their guys are six foot two, six foot three, and trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, you know? Yeah, one of the other things about the MVP this year, uh, Christian Yelich winning it, the uh, Marlins get the infamous uh, uh, notoriety from trading away 
two previous MVPs from two straight years. They traded a Stanton and then Yelich. So two. Way to go, Jeter. <laughs> yeah, nice job, Derek. He was a great shortstop, but I'm not sure he's leading them to. to hey, you know what that means? To greatness that right means now. that he's happy for you. That means your boy in uh, St. Louis is going to win it uh, next year. Yeah, Ozuna. Azuna, yeah. yeah. So he'll win the he'll win the MVP. I'm going to go put money in Vegas on Azuna for MVP. I think. <laughs> yeah, he had a pretty good a, year this year, but he had a uh, terrible, terrible. I believe he had a torn he was labor. Hurt. He couldn't throw the yeah. ball at all. I couldn't. It, it was terrible watching him throw swing baseball. very well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And he still hit 270 healthy. and 30 home runs. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, so. Hey, we got one more segment here on Docs and Josh. You want to stay tuned with us. Remember, you can always follow us at DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Love having you be part of our show every week. Remember, you can always catch us on our SB Nation podcast on Podcast Arena as well. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, we love having you be part of our show. Hey, remember, you can follow us on social media as well. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, Docs and Jocks. Hey, Ferris, I thought we could uh, close out talking about one of the great Baylor quarterbacks of all time, Heisman Trophy winner, RG3. Looks like he may get a shot down with uh, the Ravens. Uh, Joe Flacco has gone down with this mysterious hip injury. There's been a lot of, lot of uh, controversy around what that might be in detail. I don't know the details of his injury, but because of that, RG3, one of the great talents coming out of Baylor, uh, was the guy that had uh, just seemed like he had the world by the tail, and he was uh, going to be a great yeah. quarterback. Then he has the ankle dislocation, ACL injury, and uh, hasn't really had a chance to get back out on the field and show what he can do. It's possible he may be coming back uh, this week and see him playing, but it may not be. Yeah, I mean, an injury really took him out. I, I blame yeah. Mike Shanahan. We all watched that game where he was dragging that leg, and they just kept him in there, kept him in there because they knew they were going to lose. And I was like, man, you're sacrificing his future. But wouldn't it be a little poetic justice? I mean, look, Flacco's a big dude. He's strong. He's going to try to play with that hip. If he can't, Lamar Jackson will probably try to go. But if not, two injuries could put RG3 right back in the in the ball game. Wouldn't it be great to see RG3 come back and have a game of his life like, you know. Oh, just go nuts. Score like, you know, just throw for like eight touchdowns and just go off and he runs all over the field like he used to. It'd be like Samson. Remember the Samson story in the Bible? You know, Samson was this great big strong guy. Yeah. He prayed for God to give him one strength one more time so he could pull down the Philistines' great chapel. And they uh, kill a bunch of people. Kill a bunch of people, yeah. <laughs> and God gave him that ability to do that one time. So maybe RG3 could have one more great one. And, you know, he's a Baylor Bear, so we love the Baylor Bears here in the big country where our show originates. So that'd be a lot of fun. And then all the talk would be, oh, should somebody give RG3 a big, long extension contract? I mean, we could all talk about that after one great game because people are starved <laughs> for great quarterback play. But, yeah, it's crazy. We talk about it all the time. You're one injury away from, from ha- getting your chance, and you're one injury away from yep. having an average career instead of a great career. You're absolutely right. Hey, and we love having you be part of our show, man. We want to say thank you for listening to our show today. Hey, if you want to go back and listen to our interviews we had with Coach Jimmy Keeling, uh, one of the great high school and college coaches, football coaches in the state of Texas, you could do that. And listen to Coach Scotty Sanchez, who filled in for Sal Artigia, who had, had a, uh, in, an illness and wasn't able to do the show today. I want to say thank you to both those guys. And go back and listen to that at docsandjocks.com. From myself, Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter. We want to say so long. But remember, you can contact us if you want to find out about your injury, knee, hip, shoulder, by going to docsandjocks.com and contact us there about your question. See you next week on Docs and Jocks.